Oh, hello you. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you to you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. Uh, this week on the show, Kiala Settle joins us live in the studio for a sing-song and a chat about her West End debut in And Juliet. Norman Scott brings us his new book, An Accidental Icon, telling us his side of the story from the Jeremy Thorpe scandal. Gemma Whelan gives us the lowdown on Series 2 of Gentleman Jack. And Dame Penelope Wilton shares the incredible story of Operation Mincemeat coming to cinemas this week. Easter's in full swing with our Chicken and the Egg competition giving away the ultimate Waitrose Easter entertaining food package and show chef Martha cooks up some brilliant springtime treats. That's all to squeeze in, but first, let's catch up with Maria and solve some of your Graham's Guide dilemmas. <laughs> I am sitting in your big chair today. Have they at least had the sense to hide Chris Evans' things that make noise, like the car horn and the bell? <laughs> You've just reminded Reminded me now, you see. I'd have completely <laughs> forgotten, but that car horn will be making an appearance or a sound appearance. You know what I mean. It's too early for uh, words. Uh, the sun, the sun, the sun has returned. I know. I can't wait for spring. I have been really avoiding so many things, Graham. Parties, events and funerals and, you know, anything. Because you've been poorly. You've been well, poorly. that and also because every person I know in the entire world seems to be riddled with the bad Covid. Um, the, do you know, it's very, it seems very catchy, doesn't it? <laughs> After two years, we finally realised, yes, this is quite an infectious illness. But It's I, like a pandemic or something. I guess it's some sort of herd immunity going on, but I don't want to be part of that herd. I want to st- remain pure and COVID-free, thank you very much. Yes, no, me too. I Well, I haven't had it, and I keep thinking, I keep thinking, oh, I haven't had it. There's a few, there was a kind of a, a little core group of us, and one by one, they are falling. And I feel, <laughs> unless I've had it and I just don't know I've had it. Yes, I, like, I, I get tested all the time. Yeah, so I, I do too. I... I like to think that I'm so hardy and my immune system is so tip-top and ace <laughs> that I have just seen it off. I sounded like Elaine Page where I laughed like that then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I've just been having a lovely catch-up with Jane Middlemiss, who's standing in for lovely Amy. And oh, yes. um, because, of course, we knew her in the olden days, Graham, <laughs> as we like to call it. Yes, in the in the black and white times. <laughs> yes, when we went around in carriages and horses and things like that and said, good morning to you, my lady. <laughs> I liked those times. I'm 59, Maria. I'm 59 years old. I know. I did send you a birthday greeting, Graham. I don't know yes, if you did. got it. And yes, I put, no, a very I put expensive a lovely text. photograph, <laughs> a very expensive text. I put a lovely photograph up on the um, Twitter feed this morning of you dressed as your lovely lady in La Cage Fall. I can't remember her name. Sorry. What, who were you? Zaza Zizi. I don't know. You can't remember an Italian restaurant. Some, Ita- some Italian restaurant. <laughs> and somebody said to me this morning, is that really Graham? And I said, yes. And they said, how long ago was it? I can't remember. Can you? I think it was about 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Youthful Graham. I mean, really, you have got a lot of makeup on. If anybody wants to see that picture, it's on the Twitter feed under the Virgin Radio Doodah. And um, you, you do make a rather handsome woman, but I'm not sure you make a beautiful woman. Everybody behind the glass is shaking their heads and frowning. <laughs> yeah, no, I must say, I thought at the time, at the time, I thought what would happen was that I would get I would get into makeup as a woman and I would look so much better than I did as a man because, you know, makeup, it's supposed to help. And I felt I looked so old as a woman. <laughs> well, of course, now I look makeup. back. 
Now I look back and I think I look young because you I do. am even You older. did look young. And the problem is with makeup, it does accentuate the things. And if you don't know how to apply it, like Kim Kardashian. <laughs> or now, actually, Graham, honestly, I am so going to get you and I to do one of those pictures with a filter that everybody uses that makes them look amazing. What is, no, but kind of, it makes them look weird. Just nobody believes it. No one believes like that. Like Madonna filter. uses. That's what I was going to say. Like Madonna uses. Because, you know, Madonna is about the same age as me, I think. And um, she looks about 19 in her Instagram pictures. But maybe... Yes, I think she's, I think she's broken that filter through overuse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does it matter? Because she's putting out there. It's like reinforcing anything. You put it but out then there. She's, but then she has to turn around and look in the mirror and go, ah, who's that? <laughs> or people in the street do that to her, go, is that Madonna? <laughs> oh, no, it can't be. Look, she's so old. <laughs> what happened to her? <laughs> she's got a wheelbarrow for chins. <laughs> uh, right, Maria, you uh, delve into your post bag and find us some letters. Okay. Virgin Radio. Here's uh, problem number one. Dear Graham and Maria, my sister kindly offered to babysit this week for my two children while me and my husband went to my aunt, his aunt's funeral. Okay. As always, when we returned, the children had a wonderful time with her. But despite the fact that we have a cleaner, my sister decided that she should vacuum for us while the children were at school. We noticed and thanked her for it. But today we also noticed that the chrome fridge had been significantly dented and looks like it's been done by the vacuum. I phoned my sister and mentioned that it was dented and she seemed very uneasy. She and her partner are getting married next month abroad and are struggling a bit for money. Side note, none of the family particularly approve of the wedding as her chosen partner is significantly older and a bit odd. When I confronted her about the fridge, she said she didn't know if she had damaged the fridge but that she would pay me to fix it once she had paid for the wedding. Should I ask my sister to pay to repair the fridge? <laughs> oh, triggering, Graham. This has triggered me. This is from Vanessa in the Midlands. Vanessa in the Midlands. No! I mean, really, what's more important, your lovely sister who babysits for you or a dented fridge? I mean, she babysit the kids. You, they, they love her. You love her. She's your sister. Stuff happens. Stuff gets broken, dented and damaged. This is how life works, Vanessa, in the Midlands. Nothing stays pristine forever, especially with children. I mean... The side note about her husband being odd and older than her, this is her choice. I mean, this just says more about you, Vanessa, in the Midlands than anything else. And really, I'm glad that the fridge is dented because it's the only interesting <laughs> thing in your kitchen. <laughs> but it's the chrome fridge, Maria. It's the chrome fridge. I mean, doesn't this trigger you, Graham? The thing that, you know, stuff gets broken all the time. She was babysitting your children. She was hoovering for you because the kids had made a mess. I mean, you know, no good turn goes unpunished. That exactly. phrase that, is that's so it, true. Yeah, it is no good deed goes unpunished. She, it's, it's uh, you know, she tried to do a nice thing. You know, maybe, I mean, uh, okay, Vanessa in this letter seems little annoying but maybe her sister's annoying as well and maybe the sister was kind of going look at me i'm so perfect i've looked after your children and i've cleaned your house you know 
that kind of thing. You know, where people help you too much and you think, oh, back off. Oh, you're reading a lot into this. Look, you know, the kids who are at I'm school... Trying, I'm trying to paint Vanessa in a slightly more sympathetic I don't light know why you would than bother. her letter does. I don't know why you would bother, Graham. <laughs> I think some people are beyond help. Sorry, Vanessa, in the Midlands, but it's triggered me really badly. <laughs> yes, I have a funny feeling when I get to the responses, it will just be, no, 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 no. I, mean, I don't think anyone's going to suggest she ask. And also... Like, how do you repair a dent in a fridge? What? Where do you take that? You know, it's not possible. It's, as you say, it's just a thing in your house and it's got knocked with the hoover. Boom. There, the end. I think Architectural you... digest are not coming around anytime soon, Vanessa. No, so exactly. I think it. you realise as you go through life, Graham, that stuff is just stuff. And it's not the important stuff. You've got a lovely sister. You know, if your sister wasn't here anymore, God forbid, and you said, oh, yeah, I remember. You're not going to say, I remember when she died dented the fridge, are you, in I her memory? I think she is. I think <laughs> she is. She's going to use it in, as in the eulogy. I yes. did love her, I, but she did dent my fridge, and so... I remember when I didn't ask for any money after she damaged the fridge. I mean, nobody repairs a fridge. This is just... It, these are the knocks of life. It's like when we fall over and we get scars and scabs and so on. It's the stuff of life. It's yeah, what makes us think, human. But I feel like all of this is to do with they think she's crazy to be spending money on this wedding. I think that's really at the bottom of all of this, is th th it's not really about the fridge. It's about that her sister can't afford anything because she's spending all this money marrying this oddball that none of them like. Um, I think that's probably at the bottom of it. It's, yeah, it, well, that is a sign. And, and you know, and the, the trouble is, isn't it, isn't it weird that all families, you know, you know, show me a family, I'll show you a dysfunctional family. They're all dysfunctional. And what Vanessa's done by writing this letter is just expose how dysfunctional her family is to the nation. In, in Vanessa's head, this all seems quite normal. It's just when you expose it to the light, people go, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, so, Vanessa clearly is quite controlling because of the fridge issues and so on and how her kitchen looks and the dent. But you can't control your sister. You know, this is her life. She's an adult. She's decided to marry an oddball who's 193 and, you know... That and spend a lot of money on the wedding. This is her choice. Vanessa in the Midlands, you've got to back off of all things in life. And certainly yeah, Vanessa, back away you from know, me. <laughs> Vanessa decided to go to the husband's aunt's funeral and leave her fridge unsupervised for those hours. So You can't you do that the these days, Graham. You, you never know what a fridge is going to get up to in your absence. That's life. Choices and consequences. If, you, if you've got any advice, um, please, no, no swearing. We have a firewall. If you just got some nice, kind words. Do we get a lot Vanessa, of swearing, Graham? No, we don't normally, but okay. we don't normally get letters like this. Well, uh, we've had some <laughs> swear-worthy ones before, but I think our yeah. Virgin Radio listeners are very refined. The responses are part one. Uh, Kate, on her way to France, still found time to give some advice. Vanessa, chill out. Get it? Yeah, I get it. It's a fridge reference. It's a dent from a hoover. You'll only see it if you're lying on the floor. Wish I had a sister like yours. Definitely don't ask her to pay. Mistakes happen and let her make her own mistake in her relationship. Oh, you, Kate really covered it all there. Well done. Dave's in Gloucester. Hello, Dave. Of course, Vanessa shouldn't ask for the money. What she should have done is used her massive intake of breath uh, when she saw it to suck out the dent herself. 
<laughs> yes, Dave, that's what you should have done. Um, yeah, you could just get an old plunger, couldn't you, and have a go? Anyway, there you go. Uh, Cleo's in Rochford. Your sister did something nice looking after the kids. The kids, or cleaner, possibly dented the fridge. Stuff happens. Are your kids not allowed to have accidents and break things? Love your family and let the small stuff go. Small stuff? It's the chrome fridge. Uh, Keith uh, says, I think Vanessa should show how much she loves and appreciates her sister by buying her a fridge as a wedding present. That would be an hilarious, funny thing to do. Do that. Yeah, buy buy her a fridge as a wedding present. Graham's Guide. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Letter two, please. Here is uh, Graham's guide number two, she said, picking up the wrong letter. Dear Graham and Maria, I'm writing on behalf of my friend, let's call him James, who is getting married later this year. There's a big group of us who have been pals since going to uni together and we, along with our various partners who have been have been invited into this group, are all invited to the wedding. Now, one girl, let's call her Emily, let's call her, I'm doing well, aren't I? Recently broke up with her long-term boyfriend, who is no longer in the group. Okay, understand that, Graham? However, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, she started dating a new guy called Matt. Not even let's call him Matt. Matt, who also went to uni with us, but who we weren't really very close to. We never really liked him, and he'd often make constant digs and comments towards James who's getting married, making him feel uncomfortable at social events. We also found that Emily and Matt hooked up while she was still with her ex, which we're not impressed by. Mm. The issue is, Matt came into our group last year and came to the meet-up, and as we were saying our goodbyes, he said to James, Oh, see you at the wedding! He hasn't been officially invited. But as partners are invited, Emily must have presumed that Matt can take the place of her ex, who was invited. Thank goodness we don't know the name of the ex. James doesn't want him there because of past comments he's made, but all of the rest of our partners, who he does like, are coming. Should James tell Emily that Matt can't come? Or will it just cause tension in the group? Please help. And that is from Sophie in Tooting. I feel that the the oh. soundtrack to the... Remember that soap? do do whatever. Should be underneath oh, yeah. that. But now, Sophie in Tooting. I want to tell you that people are dying in the world. <laughs> and this is really first world problems. However, I am here to try and assist you. Now... Will it cause tension in the group? Yes, the answer is it will. The only way to avoid this is for you, Sophie, I believe, because men are hopeless at these things. I say that as a generalisation and I'm standing by it. You have a chat with Emily and say to her, can you just explain to Matt, your new boyfriend, to back off of James, who's getting married, if he wants to go to the wedding, because he's making lots of nasty digs. It's not just Bance. James is taking it personally. He's feeling very vulnerable at the moment. He doesn't know if he should be getting married. No, I just made that bit up. Um, So just tell Emily to have a word with Matt and say, back off if you want to go to the wedding. If you don't want to go to the wedding... Knock yourself out. Because otherwise, look, if, if you say no, you can't come, all the other partners are going, Emily's going to be annoyed. And now I've run out of words, Graham. So can you speak, please? Well, I just think, look, life, I think life changes, you know, people change. And clearly this friendship group is changing. And they don't like this James guy. And honestly... No, they I, don't I, like I mean, Matt. I just, they don't like Matt. Sorry. Oh, Matt. Matt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. 
I, honestly, it's like reading a Jane Austen novel. There's so many people in this letter. Uh, Sophie in Tooting. Sophie in Tooting uh, clearly has taken a gin. Is she called Emily? Yes, I think they've yeah. got beef, haven't they? Clearly. I mean, yeah. this, is, this so group is it, just a, a viper's nest, isn't it? They so all I think hate it, each other. <laughs> If Sophie in Tooting is speaking for the group, it sounds like they've gone off Emily. So if e- Emily and her horrible boyfriend want to sling their hooks, then shouldn't that help the tension in the group? Because I think the tension in the group is coming from these two people being there. So I would say, uh, no, you can't bring that guy because I don't like him and it's my special day. Do it. Yeah, and, James is uh, not going to sh- do that. I don't think he's got the bottle to do that. But when Sophie in Tooting says, you know, and then we also noticed that she hooked up with this Matt while she was still with her ex, which we were not impressed by. I mean, let he that who is without sin throw the first stone. I don't think you should be judgy, judgy, Miss Sophie in Tooting. You're all friends. You're all in the group. Say it to her face. <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah, totally direct. And also, I like the fact that the guy she was going out with, gone. Yeah. He's been erased. Thank goodness he is no we longer... don't know his name because that would have really confused you, Graham. I'm yeah, having but, to keep but, you in a tight rein as it is. But like he's gone. He's he's never coming to the wedding. He's you know. So I I just I think uh, I th- if I was James, I would cut the cord and set Emily free. Emily and her horrible boyfriend set them free, and they can find a new group of friends because. Like I say, the world is changing, the world is evolving, and she's not part of the friend group anymore. She set herself apart by dating, basically, an enemy of the group. No, but so, he was you know, at university with them as well. They, yes, they and, was the, and was the enemy of the group at university. <laughs> they didn't like him. They never liked him. And now, now, she's not only gone out with him, but she's cheated on the ex they did like with this enemy. It's No, she, she has crossed enemy lines and I, I feel yes she's now don't you know, use war yeah, analogies kind of, Graham it's a very tricky subject <laughs> <laughs> I think yes go on, uh, yeah, on. I, I, no I just think Emma I who the hell wrote to us Sophie <laughs> I just think Sophie <laughs> could, could everyone wear a name tag please um, I just think Sophie can't really do anything I don't think she could but have I a think word she with could advise Emily. James she could advise James, just say to James, look, either you uninvite them both or you suck it up on the day and you just avoid him. I think because you suck it you up c- because at weddings, you know, you don't, unless there's only going to be 10 people at the wedding, it doesn't matter. They'll be swamped in the group. They'll be drinking all the free booze and having a huddle somewhere at the back of the church talking about James and what's he come as. So, I mean... Yes, his ill-fitting suit. <laughs> really, would, that's his suit. He's wearing I would just suit. go invite them and deal with it afterwards. This uh, Weddings can be very emotive situations. The response is part two. Uh, Harry from Chichester. James should just confront Emily and her new beau. Some people are unaware that what they say to people is offensive. Yes, they live among us. This is the perfect time to confront the unwanted guest about how he made James feel. It will be a weight off his shoulders. Or James could just tell him to stay away and enjoy his wedding carefree. Okay, that's advice from Harry and Chichester, which is essentially do whatever you want. (laughs) Harry doesn't really care. Uh, David is from Manchester. The bride and groom should invite exactly who they want. As for the guests, those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind. It's their special day, not yours. I do think, look, why would you have someone you actively don't like at your wedding? 
I think you're allowed to say, I don't like you. I don't want to look out. While I'm doing my speech, I don't want to look out and see some kind of guy I hate. Tracy's in the Cotswolds. Well, she'll know. I think James should, should invite Emily's ex-boyfriend and hopefully new girlfriend to the wedding. After all, they all liked her ex-boyfriend and she did the dirty on him. So he deserves the invite. I see. So if you get cheated on, you, <laughs> you get some overcooked chicken. That's That seems... That seems wise, Tracy. Yes. Why not do that? I mean, it's a tricky problem. I think essentially he doesn't want to have someone he, he doesn't like at his wedding. That's what I would say. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Right, it is time to be my first guest of the day. Uh, already a Broadway veteran, she then found international fame from her starring role in the global smash hit movie The Greatest Showman, performing the song This Is Me. Now she's coming to the West End as part of the cast of And Juliet, the musical. Uh, please welcome Kiala Settle. Hello. I wish there was a zoo. Oh, I wish no. people were kind of... I wish there was more people with kind of little wet hands. Uh, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to be talking to you, finally. Oh, no, because the last time I saw you, it was on the TV show when you did an amazing performance of This Is Me. Babe, and now that was a different life. Oh, my God. It's so different from there. It was five, almost five years ago, wasn't it? Is it that long? Yeah, almost. Wow. I think four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, is, this, is this your West End debut, surely not? It is. It absolutely is. I moved here in May and uh, because I wanted to, and I knew that I could, thankfully, because my father, he's mank, and uh, by birthright, I have a British passport. And so I took that passport and ran uh, to come here and live another life, live a different life, and I'm loving and, it. And, and already, so, I mean, you're hardly, you're hardly off the plane and already so <laughs> successful. Uh, playing the nurse in Anne Juliet. Yes. Now, listen, here's the thing. When people try to explain Anne Juliet. Yes, yes. Because I haven't seen it. I find it, it confuses me. So I'm going to wish you good luck. Right. And you try to tell us uh, something about and Juliet. It's very and it's simple, relation- love. Very oh, simple, okay, go. really. Okay, go. We all know how the end of Romeo and Juliet, well, hopefully, ends. You know, they both are like, yeah, we're only six years old, but let's stay together forever and get married because our parents <laughs> told us to. And this is their idea. Right, I'll die, fake die. Then you come over, you fake die. Then I'll wake up and then I'll wake you up and we'll be all sorted and done. We're out. Um, that is not what happened, obviously. He fake died. She showed up. She saw he's not waking up. He's really dead. So she's off, gone. And then uh, he wakes up and goes, oh, she's gone. I guess I suppose I'll be gone too. And that is the end of the happy play of William Shakespeare's <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. However, in our production of And Juliet, which is a musical um, with all of the songs from Max Martin, who is amazing, um, it starts at the end of the original where he has fake passed away and she shows up. And rather than taking the poison, Juliet does not take the poison thus the musical begins and it's another life and you see it unfold and it's absolutely incredible and the nurse and uh, the capulet family and the montague families carry on with her in her journey as well as other new people that come into the four and create the story and this life and this existence for her and there are so many relationships that she finds and encounters with other people it, it really is really is a stunning piece of work I love being a part of it I got to do it in the beginning five years ago when they did their first workshop in LA 
um, and played oh, the nurse right. with David Bedella, who won the Olivier Award for it. So um, it was, and even then, it was an incredible experience. And then f- for the past five years, I've been like, "Hello, how are you doing? Yes, I'll audition for this. Yes, I'll self tape." Has anyone heard about what and Juliet's doing? Does anybody know where that is? <laughs> and finally, I caught up with it, and I couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier. But as you say, it's got these big pop hits in mm. it. I mean, really massive pop massive. hits. Massive. And for you as a kind of, as a theatre performer, what's it like singing pop hits? Or are they kind of orchestrated differently so they suit kind of theatre voices? Well, my love, you have to understand, my world has always been in pop and R&B. I, uh, my first job, I had to actually sort of morph into this whole theatre world with Hairspray. That was the first thing I ever did, which is a very pop sounding show and had to sort of not sound so wannabe Tina Turner, Whitney Houston-y and sort of put it into this character of Tracy Turnblad. But that world of pop and R&B and, you know, alternative music, that's where I've always lived. That's been my love. I'm a singer-songwriter in that realm. So to be able to come into this, I've actually had to calm down wanting to riff all over the place (laughs) and just make it as much and as true to the character and to the show as I possibly can. So can you let us know what are some of the songs that uh, the nurse gets to perform? Oh, she gets, she, well, fortunately, she gets to perform a lot of numbers with um, the rest of the cast. But one of the one of my favourite ones is um, Show Me Love that Max uh, wrote with Robin. Wait, when was it? In the 90s? I can't remember. 90s, in the early 2000s. Show me love, show me life. Hey, baby, show me what it's all about. You're the one that I ever needed. Show me love. And what it's all about. All right. Of course, I don't sing it like that, obviously, because I on play the nerd. On clubs, ladies and <laughs> on clubs. Uh, sounds like I played a record. Oh, oh. We're, we're not paying enough for this. <laughs> Put out a hat. Put out a hat. I'm a Here's my basket spot. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, let's take a break uh, for some some other music. Uh, you've chosen a track. Uh, is there any particular reason why you've chosen this track and what is it? Yes, the track is uh, Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All. And as a child, when I first heard it, actually as a young adult, um, it was my This Is Me, if that makes any sense. And over the yeah. years, it has always stuck with me. And it's changed in so many ways with my life at what it means to me and how I listen to it and how I perceive it. And it's always that thing where I'm realising now the only way that I can love anything, as you well know, Graham, if you can't love yourself, how the heck are you going to love anybody else? And that's what that song is all about. Wowza! Out Whitney Whitting. Uh, oh. Yo, there, joining in with Whitney you A legend. Her choice. Absolute legend. Uh, we should remind people uh, Anne Juliet, uh, Kiala Settle stars as nurse in Anne Juliet. Tickets are available at Anne Juliet, the musical, all one word, <laughs> dot code UK. And um, you mentioned, I love that you mentioned this is me going into that song because yeah. this is me was one of those songs that it connected with people and what an amazing thing for you but I think I read you were in an interview saying actually it was sort of overwhelming it was so overwhelming my god Graham I remember when I performed it on your show I was so petrified and you were so lovely because I was so scared I mean it was it was a world that I never knew 
being put into this, you know, massive, you know, major motion picture world of promoting things and do, being, I mean, the next day I was in Japan. So it was like I, I, I was learning all of these things and I wasn't really equipped to understand or to actually hold myself up, sort of empower myself for all of this. Uh, you know, I was singing such a very traumatic song that was inspiring other people. But at the same time, I was still traumatized and hadn't had a chance to actually process it myself. So I've actually spent the last five years trying to understand what it means to me because I know that by some miracle, it's changed so many millions of people's lives all around the world, which is such a gift. And I'm very privileged to just be a vessel for that, but also to understand what that means to me internally. And um, it's been a massive gift and I can actually be on the other side of it and go, yes, it is an amazing song and it is an anthem. And in so many ways, as much as it touched other people's lives and saved and continues to save other people's lives, yeah. it is now, I can honestly say, saving mine. So I'm very grateful for that. Very grateful. I'm so pleased <laughs> that you've you've come out the other side of it because, you know, I think that's the thing. No one, until you're in that mm. moment, mm. no one knows what it's going to feel like no and whether it suits it you or not. Yeah. You know, some people, some people, it uh, they you see, I you know, on the show, I, I see people and they have, you know, like, as you had a big breakout hit like that. And, it, and I was you petrified. You were so lovely. And bless him, Hugh was there as well. He's, and he's always there. He's like my big brother. Well, my little brother, really. But he... <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's family. His whole family's always been there for me because they've seen the potential and the life and the love that ha has always existed in me. But I had to find it for myself again, which why the song you just played means so much to me. And that is my this is me. And now I can face that song and say with assuredness that I believe in it and I understand it and I feel the strength from it. And also, you're now, uh, so let's jump forward, because obviously, and Juliet, yay, great, marvellous, yeah. yes. but we already know what your next gig is, yeah. you're, you're, you're joining the new production of uh, Sister Act. Yes, I am, I am, I am, I am, I'm really excited to do that, actually. So that's the 19th of July to the 28th, and it's you, it's uh, the Beverly Knight, I mean, you and Beverly Knight together. I can't wait to I have been following her career for the last like three, four years and we, we've we been in so many places. We were so close to meeting each other, but it just never worked out. So I'm really excited that um, we're both a part of this. And bloody well, Jennifer Saunders, come on! Leslie I Joseph, know. Clive Rowe, all of these amazing greats that I've known about my whole life because of my own heritage. And it's just, <laughs> it's an amazing, we haven't even done anything yet and I'm so excited. <laughs> No, like you and Beverly Knight singing together, that oh. will bring the house down. Well, as long as that we have a good go time, that's all that matters. <laughs> that is going to be quite the sing-off. <laughs> so tell me, so are you, have you started in um, uh, Anne Juliet yet? Oh, yes, absolutely. We started on the 29th of March, uh, the new cast, because there was a oh, pretty a big, massive... Oh, you Yeah. Um, I mean, mate, let me just put my cigarette out here. Um, yeah, I've been, I mean, been there for decades. Uh, but yeah, but I I mean, before I did that, I was working on um, a Britbox show uh, called Murder in Provence with uh, Roger Allen and Nancy Carroll. That was the first gig I had here. I flew here, and then two weeks later, I was in costumes and fittings for a brand new television show. <laughs> 
But isn't that fantastic? Yeah, yeah. That's just, I'm so very grateful. That's very, very grateful. Very grateful. Wow. And and you're settling into London and everyone's being nice to you. <laughs> a good way of putting it yeah just just put it just good. like that yes I've, good, i'm good, here good. and everyone's nice excellent happy for uh, it's been lovely 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 talking to you uh kiana settle stars as a nurse in and juliet you get tickets uh at and juliet the musical all one word dot co uk it's at the it, am i I'm, I'm saying it's the shaftesbury it is, it the is shaftesbury, yes it? it is yeah and it's at the shaftesbury theater and it's extended its booking period until the 24th of september but kiana will have left then because she's going to be in sister Act. how don't, dare you don't tell everyone busy, that busy 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 <laughs> uh listen thanks very much for coming thank in thank you uh, graham I, you're a legend i right. love you The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Now, back in the 70s, the Jeremy Thorpe affair scandal uh, became one of the the biggest political scandal of probably the 20th century. And it then came back into prominence a few years ago when a very British English scandal uh, hit TV's uh, an adaption of a book. Um, Finally... the man at the centre of the whole scandal is telling his own story. Uh, it's a book called An Accidental Icon, and his name is Norman Scott. You're very welcome to the show, Mr. Scott. Thank you. Uh, so I guess the obvious question is, you must have had multiple offers over the years to tell this story, to, to share your side of what went on. Why did you wait till now? Oh, I didn't have... Um lots of offers, I'm afraid. I've gone through quite a long time of total press vilification and people not wanting me to tell the truth. But I decided that I would um, do it now because I wanted to let my, my son and my daughter and grandchildren really know the truth. And I think it was very important. And I think people need to know the truth. It is fascinating. I, I think one of the most interesting things about the book is it is in a way seeing the whole thing through the lens of 2022 you know back then i think we all thought you'd had an affair with jeremy thorpe but it no, wasn't an affair not really. at all. it was a no. horrible abusive thing yes it was and 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 continued in a horrid way until the moment on the moor when um he killed my dog yes and i mean what was it like for for you, because obviously, you know, you remember it and it's in your head and you walk around, but to sit down and actually play it out on the page, were there things about the story that surprised you in the retelling? Not in the least, because it's it's just has always been there. But um, in fact, it's just been incredibly cathartic um, doing it. It's It's helped me a lot. And I think it will... It will also help. I still think that there are young people, girls or boys, still in more, not as bad perhaps a situation, but in the same sort of situation as me. And I'd love to know that I was able to help them in some way by reading my book. Because what's interesting about you is when you're reading the book, for huge swathes of it, swathes of it you seem uh, very uh, vulnerable. And, and people have to come in and rescue you and help you. And then you find this incredible strength. There's a scene where you're having a meeting with David Steele at the House of Commons. Yes. And yes. he's dismissing you and wants you to go away. Yes. Do you remember something clicking in your head where you kind of don't know, I'm going to fight? Well, the, the very strange thing about that was that I was introduced to David Steele by uh, uh, Emlyn Hoosen's secretary, 
Um, and they thought that I'd come to talk about Peter Bessel, who was another MP. And when I said, no, I haven't come to talk about Peter Bessel, I've come to talk about Jeremy Thorpe and what he's done. And they just, uh, David Steele just said, oh, this is absolute rubbish. So I produced a sheaf of letters for him and he went completely white with horror and because um, they were love letters from Thorpe. But that fight, do you, that's the thing that kind of fascinated me because it mm. seemed, like I say, you seemed so vulnerable and yet you did this incredibly brave thing and you exposed yourself to all sorts of, you know, ridicule yes. and attack from the yes. press. Yes. Um, were you surprised you were strong enough to cope with all of that? It just just kept, kept standing. I had to be... I had to get it out. It had to be sorted for so many reasons. I, you know, I, I needed, I needed to to get my life back. But what was interesting to me was because you know my memory of it is that it all kind of played out in a sort of linear way. But in fact, there was a kind of a, a gap at where you lived in Ireland. You spent some time in the UK, and yes. you know you fell in love with various people. You you were. They fell in it love with me. It seemed like your life was getting on, getting on with itself. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's true. But it's, uh, you you know why I was living in Ireland because I didn't need an, a national insurance card living there. So you know, it, and I was show jumping. I was earning money. I I was in a better situation. But I wanted to go back to England. I wanted to 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 show over there. And also, then I started modelling, and I had to do that in in uh, England. And looking back, you know, because obviously you're, you're one end of your life and you're looking back at this young young, young man who you were, yes. are there things you, are you, do you regret taking it as far as you did and, and oh, the no. court cases? No, no, not at all. Oh, that's great. No, I don't regret it at all. Um, I have to, I had to do it and I'm very glad I have. I, I've got the, just the most wonderful life now and you know, life couldn't be better. I hope you don't mind me saying this, Scott. You're you're in your eighties now. I am. Um, <laughs> and at the time of writing the book, you were still uh, riding horses. Are you still riding? Oh gosh, yes, every day. Yeah. And it does sound. I mean, I'm so happy. Like, what's so much of the book is heartbreaking and really incredibly uh, uh, grueling, kind of to read what happened to you. But yes. what, what kind of saves it is we know you end up. In this gorgeous uh, farmhouse, describe yes. where you live now in your life. Uh, I live um, high on Dartmoor and in a lovely village with great people, really kind, lovely people. Some people don't like me, but that's the same in life, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but and I've got uh, and this beautiful medieval longhouse, which was given to me very kindly by people who believed in me, and. I have the most wonderful garden. I have horses, ponies, several dogs, lots and lots of different poultry, rare breeds, and I'm just the happiest person you could ever have. I'm so I'm so pleased for you. But tell me, what has it been like? Have you had to kind of trail the scandal with you your whole life, like sort of a Monica Lewinsky figure, or have you made <coughs> friends and lived life where people didn't know about it? I sadly haven't got a black dress with anything on it, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I suppose I have. Yes, you're right. <laughs> yes. Oh, and has that been? I don't know. I'm, I guess you learned to cope with it. Um, 
yes, I, I have learned to cope with it, but I, I've got a, a, a tremendously good partner who is just... He de doesn't want to know of the past, but is there for me, and he's just been amazing, amazing person. And, and so was it hard for, for him and for your friends now to, to watch the, the television adaptation, A Very English Scandal? I think it was, um, uh, and it wasn't... Uh, what uh, upset most people was... Um, <laughs> I Gosh, it's quite difficult. But I am not this sort of mincing queen that's dragged along by a great dame. Um, and it, it, that was very upsetting for them because I, you know, I am just an ordinary person that happens to be gay. Yeah. And I think that's one of the interesting things of the book is because <clears throat> you're, and again, it's looking back from yeah. 2022. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, you were gay, then you weren't gay, then you were gay. You know, I think it was different back then in the 50s. Totally, People weren't just totally. out and proud and living like no, lives like that. Yeah, that's right. Well, it was a, a, a time of free love. <laughs> and what was the name of the, the funny gay bar in Dublin? I can't remember. Oh, you, well, I'm amazed you don't know it. It was called... <laughs> <laughs> it was called... Really, Norman? <laughs> <laughs> it was called Bartley Duns, and it was the best place ever if you were a gay, young Irish person. Well, it was just lovely because they were so kind and welcoming. The only trouble was they played interminably Ray Charles singing Take These Chains From My Heart. But apart from that, it was lovely. <laughs> and tell me this, when, when the, the story came back to prominence in, yes. in 2018, I think it was, yes. did anyone reach out to you, any figures in power reach out to apologise for what had happened? Have you ever had any sort of apology? Good God, no, no. But lots of people from the past, you know, have said, well done that you've done it. Because they, they knew that what was going on, a lot of my friends. And the horse world has been just amazing still to me because I still judge and I still show. So, and they're just a, a completely marvellous lot of people. Uh, well, I'm so glad you, you did agree with yourself to sit down <laughs> and, and write this book because it is Thank a you. fascinating story, not Thank just you. for... I, um, the, could I the... just say the critics don't seem to think so, but, you know, that's, that's just too sad for words. They're living in the past, in the 70s, and they can't grow up. Oh, that's interesting. So what, do they, are they still fixed on that idea of who they think you are? Oh, totally, totally. Yes, they've got the idea that there's this nasty little person. Um, they, I'm always called a stable boy, and, and I've never been a stable boy. I, I taught uh, dressage and evented. I, took, I did take this job with the man that introduced me to Thorpe, uh, but he was, um, well, just an awful person. Uh, but I never was a stable boy. I was there as a working pupil earning money, which uh, earning pocket money, which, of course... I never got. <laughs> no, I, I mean, yes, I, I, I think what's good is, you know, you know now that you have told your side of the story. Yes. And if people choose not to hear it, then oh. that's up to them. Yes, but absolutely. You've, you've, you've got it out there. I it's have. called uh, An Accidental Icon. It's out now in hardback. Uh, Mr. Scott, thank you so much for joining yeah. us. It's a real pleasure <laughs> to talk to you. Thank and, you. And well done for getting through... Uh, really some terrible times in your life and I'm so, so glad kind of you now. thank you thank you all right take care goodbye bye bye, bye. bye. still to come Dame Penelope Walton with the incredible true story behind the brand new film Operation Mincemeat and the lovely Gemma Whelan fills us in on what's to come in series two of BBC drama Gentleman Jack
But before all of that, over to Martha Collison and the hors d'oeuvres. Uh, so, uh, what have you made to celebrate spring in food form? I have got for you today a beautiful spring spiral phyllo tart. Say what now? Or actually, maybe a pie. Tart slash pie. Graham, I'm still here. I'm cutting it as we speak to try and let you... Can you hear this lovely scritchiness? Who, who gave you a knife? <laughs> I know. They don't know what they did. I'm going on the rampage. Um, it's, I think it is phyllo pastry, isn't it, It Martha? is, absolutely. Phyllo pastry, lots of lovely spring herbs, a celebration of freshness, a little bit of feta cheese, lots of beautiful Ooh. things. And it's really right. so hot. It's, <laughs> it's steaming. So I can it, see is, the steam. <laughs> so it's straight out of the oven. Is it? So this is a veggie pie. It is indeed, yes. Yeah. So it's perfect for vegetarian friends. It's got cheese in it, so it's not vegan. Uh, so, you know, it's got Love. a lot of dairy going on. But that's what makes it delicious. I won't, I can't lie. <laughs> it's and got a lovely so herb do... in it, Martha. Sorry, sorry, Graham. But I'm eating Hang it. Hang on. Let, let, let's find out uh, how we make it, and then um, Maria can uh, shove it in her gob, and we'll find out what too it tastes late. like. Too uh, late. <laughs> too late. It's in. Uh, so, uh, how hard is it, Martha? So, it's not. Not super hard. We're not making our own pastry. So I think we are kind of helping ourselves out by buying our phyllo pastry. I would never recommend yep. making it. <laughs> Even if you're the top pastry chef, people yeah. buy phyllo pastry. It's too... Life is too short. <laughs> it really is. Okay, so we've bought our phyllo pastry. And then... It, so do we, uh, do we line a tin with it? What do we do? So we're going to make a beautiful, um, fresh, herby filling by kind of frying off together some leeks and some spinach. They, until they're nice and kind of uh, melting, they say translucent, until it's going a little bit see-through. Leave them to cool down. Then we're going to mix that together with some pine nuts, with some feta cheese, some cottage cheese and two eggs to make kind of this kind of, it's a filling that will bind our pastry together. Then we're going to take mm. our sheets of phyllo pastry, brush them with melted butter, and then we spread a little bit of the mixture, so a third of the um, kind of our cottage cheese and herby fettery mixture, over the pastry and roll it up into a sausage, a sausage shape. <laughs> then we're going to kind of make a couple of these sausages and swirl them together into a tin, which is what creates this kind of rather spectacular-looking uh, snail shell effect <laughs> on top of the pie. And then we sprinkle it with a few sesame seeds and it goes into the oven for its 40-minute bake. Now, I have to say, that sounds... It, it was, I was with you till you started rolling it up into a sausage <laughs> and turning it into a... That sounds quite hard. I think if you can, you can see the pie, you'd be like, oh, OK, I understand how that works. When I'm explaining it, you're thinking, gosh, are we just having a big long line of sausages? <laughs> and then what, what have you put on top? Is that sesame seeds on top? Yep, so we've got some black and some white sesame seeds just to give it a little bit of bit of life and it's brushed with them an egg yolk and butter glaze to give it a really beautiful golden crispy topping. All right, let's talk to the mouth. Uh, how dare you? <laughs> um, so, uh, sorry, Martha, I, it is really delicious, but I missed because my mouth was burning, uh, taking the skin off the inside. <laughs> um, what are the herbs that's in it? Because in the feta cheese, which is delicious, obviously, especially when it's really, really hot, um, what are the herbs that are in that? But I missed you saying that. So it's an Ellie Pear recipe, and she actually says you can use any kind of mixture of herbs that you like. So I've gone for a bit of mint, a bit of tarragon, and what was the other one? A bit of dill. Which, I think which is actually really makes fragrant. it taste quite spring-like, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's very fresh. Yeah, herbs, are, they're, they're kind of something that's really easy to grow in the garden. So they're something you can put in your very first bed for spring and then mm. you can make things like this. Can you come down to my house and do that for me? Because I don't know what you're talking about. But I 
would I would love you to come round and make this in my house for me, Martha. <laughs> it can be arranged. And, and so I can have people round for dinner. Um, but the, the sausagey bit is quite hard to roll it up. With phyllo pastry, it does split <laughs> apart, doesn't it? Yeah, it can you need, do. You need young, nimble fingers like Martha. <laughs> Gonna be really, really speedy. But to be honest, I feel like this pie would equally work if you're doing the sausages, you're thinking this isn't working. Kind of just slice them all up, stick it all in, crumble some phyllo pastry on the top. This is this isn't early pair approved, to be fair, what I'm saying, but I think this would work. <laughs> and then just put it in and then just do it more or more like a shepherd's pie or a cottage pie where you take a big scoop and have it in a bowl rather than having it as a slice. Yes, and don't be greedy when you get it out of the oven because <laughs> bad things will happen to you. I was debating yes. while you were talking about how to make it, whether or not to call 999. <laughs> <laughs> and get a fire extinguisher in my mouth. But delicious, Martha. Thank you. I'm Lava kidnapping pie. you. Yeah, Martha, Martha's lava pie. Um, if, if you'd like to know how to make it, if you go to our Instagram at Virgin Radio UK and then stab away there. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Mmm, what's that smell? It's Martha Collison, show chef. Uh, she is here. Hello, Martha. Hiya. Hi, what what Easter treat have you created for us today? Well, it's a classic today, um, but something that people might not think that they would make for themselves. So we've got some white chocolate and orange hot cross buns. Go, Martha. This is your own recipe, right? It is, yes. I think a lot of people don't like raisins in a hot cross bun, particularly I find children. They'll see a hot cross bun, they go, oh, it's got raisins in it. But these ones, these are a raisin-free affair. <laughs> and I yeah, have tasted... Shop. I have tasted oh. them, Graham. And Go, tell us. Yes, no, to this morning's experience in the culinary department, Graham, was like fluffy dancing angels on my tongue, wearing ballet shoes uh, <laughs> crafted from orange zest and white chocolate surprise. Wow. It was really delicious. <laughs> but, you know, the fluffy dancing angels have also been drenched in butter, which is, of course, my favourite. <laughs> Got to have it. Just say uh, look out, Paul Hollywood. You, you're gunning for that job. <laughs> That's like an advert. <laughs> I know. I thought I would try and be, you know, because you could say it's delicious, can't you? But then I was trying to be a little more creative this morning, paint the picture. I love that. You, I'm going to get you to write the intros to my sure. recipes. Sure thing. I'm, <laughs> so, I'm quite cheap. It. I'm quite cheap, Martha. <laughs> You're going to tell Graham how you did it now this morning. That's the that's the plan. Okay, so how hard are these to make? Because and also you're right. You don't think of making them because at, come this time of the year, you go to the supermarket and there's a load of them. The waitress has all those different versions. So uh, how hard are they to make? So if you can make bread, you can make a hot cross bun. So if you if if you try to so, make bread so in very hard. <laughs> um, they're at the more they're at the more challenging end. I can't lie, but you feel so good about yourself when you've done it. You think, wow, what a, look what I have made. You want to show all your friends and neighbours what you've done. OK. Uh, so <laughs> how, how, how do we start? So we're going to start by making a dough. It's, uh, it's called an enriched bread dough when you make something like a hot cross bun or a brioche <laughs> because you're putting in butter, milk, all, the, all of the delicious things, to be fair. So we're going to start by melting some butter with some milk and some water in a small saucepan. And then we'll cut, put all of our dry ingredients into a big bowl. So that's your flour, your yeast, salt, sugar, a little bit of cinnamon, 
bit of orange zest all in a big bowl together. Then we're going to add in that milk and butter mixture with one egg and then mix it to make a nice dough. You can put it in a machine if you've got one of those fancy uh, stand mixers or you can do it by hand and get all the kids involved or something like that. <laughs> Knead it until you've got a smooth dough and then first rise. So we've got multiple rises, I'm afraid to say, oh. but first rise. I think Graham's <laughs> can lost Can you hear interest. my eyes rolling? <laughs> yeah. that, Graham's gone down to the shop. <laughs> Not having... <laughs> Yeah, I'm eating some now. <laughs> so, yeah. And whilst it's rising, eat your shop-bought horse bun <laughs> to get you in the mood. So the first rise is about an hour or two. But to be honest, these are quite... Because there's so much in the dough, they can be left for a couple of hours. You don't need to be too um, precise about that. And actually, I forgot to say the most important part, which is that they've got white chocolate and orange bits in them. <laughs> so when you finish, That's the name. That is, otherwise you're just going to have some plain rolls, which, you know, nice, but not quite as exciting. So <laughs> you're, it's kind of candied orange peel and some white chocolate chunks that get mixed into the dough. Um, and then, so that gets left to rise. Then we're going to shape it into 12 little balls, leave it to rise again, have another hot cross bun. <laughs> and then we're going to um, drizzle them with the cross, which is made of flour and water as a paste. So you drizzle that over the top and then they go into the oven 20 minutes. And then when they come out, you want to brush them with some marmalade so that they get a lovely glossy shine to them and a bit more oranginess. Wow. Um, listen, I'm sure there are people out there who are <laughs> ambitious and have, have the skill set and they'll be able to make them. And by the way, if you do, I, I, I must say this, if you make something that, you know, Martha's described on the show, do take a picture, do send it in. We'd love to see what, you know, your efforts, because obviously Martha's are, are achieved to a very high professional standard. But we'd love to see uh, <laughs> what you make when, when you make Martha's things. So that recipe is uh, on our Instagram is that correct? It is, yeah. It was in last week's Waitrose Weekend paper. So it's on the Instagram now. And I don't know, I recommend with a bit of lemon curd, a bit of orange. It's a good, it's a good little breakfast. And also, you will feel so amazing if you're serving those and going, yes, <laughs> I sure. made them myself. Yeah, well, absolutely. On, 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 unless, if I, I feel like if I made them, everyone would just be going, did you make these yourself? <laughs> 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 Thank you very much, Marta. I'll talk to you next weekend. You're very welcome. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Right, it is time to meet my first guest of the day. She was Yara Greyjoy in the Mighty Game of Thrones. Now she returns as Marion Lister in the season two of Gentleman Jack, which start, kicks off tonight on BBC One at nine o'clock. Her name is Gemma Whelan. Hello, Gemma. Hey, Graham. How's it going? <laughs> There you are. You gave me a fright. Uh, I did. I, I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> oh, well, so lovely to talk to you. Congratulations on this. I mean, Gentleman Jack, what a massive kind of, on a, a sort of unlikely hit. I suppose I shouldn't say that, but it's such a, an odd uh, premise yeah. for a show. If people haven't seen season one, how do, how do you describe how it? Do you, where do you begin? Well, it's, I mean... You're absolutely right. It's just sort of an unlikely um, hit, but it was. It's basically about the first sort of openly gay woman in the 1800s. How she sort of lived her life um, unapologetically in terms of um, she lived with a woman. She all but sort of married a woman and lived with her in sort of plain sight. Um, and she kept a diary, a sort of coded diary about it. So. The reason we know so much about her and her life is that, that she diarised pretty much minute by minute her entire day. 
um, over over many many years. And so Sally Wainwright, the, the fantastic writer of the series, you know, she had such a wealth of um, material to to draw from for the scripts, and she really doesn't make very much up. It's, it's all true, which I think is which is a real hook. Um, it's because it's a period drama um, about a, a gay marriage, but it's very contemporary as well, and it just sort of ticks all the boxes and is as you but it is an unlikely hit because it's sort of you know my elevator pitch isn't brilliant but it is brilliant <laughs> <laughs> and a great great cast you play the sister uh marion uh, is yeah. she is she featured in the diaries is there much documentary evidence of her or are you more a kind of you know are, are you freer in a way to create that character well, that's a very great question. Yeah, I, I think she's certainly spoken about, but more in the fact that had breakfast with Marion and then she moves on to quite much more interesting <laughs> things about her day. So, um, so Marion features, but I don't think she features heavily. And um, and she uh, so she's quite the put upon little sister and their sibling relationship is you know, a recognisable one, which I think is also sort of a warm feature of the piece. Um, but she's the far less interesting, more sort of home makey sister um, to Anne's extremely exotic um, existence. And rather unfair, so you're very accepting of Anne's relationship. Yeah. Her, kind of, mm. her very modern uh, affair. I think Marion uh, doesn't quite understand, <laughs> but she's very accepting well, of her. Um, the new flatmate. Yeah, because yeah, you get the feeling, isn't it? Because it, because it was the olden days and you, yes. d- you didn't put a name on it. People did just think, oh, they're a bit eccentric. Yes, exactly. I think cert- cert- women of cert- a certain age who weren't inclined, who were disinclined to marry, would move in with one another. So it wasn't entirely unusual. It's just sort of, it normally happened when you were in your sort of riper age than sort of your youth. But uh, anyway... Um, yeah. it's, I don't think Marion or, or the family understand the machinations, but uh, they are very accepting, which I think is also wonderful. And she did dress as a man. That bit's true. Yes, she did. She dressed as a man um, and was often confused for one um, or mistaken yeah. so for clue, one, should the, I say. The, the clues yes. were there. <laughs> the clues were there. You could have put, could have put it together, Marion. But <laughs> um, yeah, and- I just, it, it was unthought of. And in terms of kind of making TV shows, I mean, you have lucked out Game of Thrones and now this, because they're both uh, made, uh, I mean, with the kind of budgets almost of films, of movies, aren't they? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I I, I agree. I'm very fortunate. They're both good, big HBO productions, you know, obviously with BBC, with Gentleman Jack as well. Um, And so, yes, sort of we filmed a lot during COVID and we had to lock, we had, we had to stop filming about three or four times and, um, yes, I think sort of if I'm if, if I'm guessing, thanks to the budget, we were able to sort of carry on and finish the piece because um, it was it was almost a year and a half in the making because it was meant to start and it didn't start and kept getting stuck and cancelled and re rescheduled. So yeah, extremely I, fortunate. I've just put that together. Of course, they're, they're both made with HBO money. Uh, are you kind of in with <laughs> the in crowd at HBO? Are you like have they got speed dial to Gemma Whelan? <laughs> I wish, I wish. No, I don't. I don't think uh, that I would. I would love to think that's true. Um, so, I, I. But I. I doubt it very much. But I did get lucky to get a couple of HBO jobs for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. tell me this: Do you, where you film? Are you filming in the real Lister house and all that sort of stuff, or are they? Are yes, they just we set, film it, look- we, Yeah, we film at Shibden Hall. It's where these women lived, and and actually where my character died. She lived. She was eighty-four, Marion. And she lived and died in that house. So yes, it was. It's sort of 
the rich history within the walls that we're in, where they actually lived is where we're filming, which is really special. I mean, that <clears throat> must, I mean, that kind of must do a lot of the work for you in a way that you're. Yeah, you yeah, know, I think so. And and, the, and Tom Pye's incredible costumes, you know, and the, the Sally's script, you know, is basically sort of all the work's done. You just turn up and say the lovely words. It's it's a really really lovely job, and and yeah. We're very lucky to be able to film where where it actually happened. <laughs> I, I love that. That's so actor. Say the lovely words. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Say the lovely words. <laughs> my, my work is done. <laughs> I learned the lovely words. What more do you want? I did the lovely words. Is the whole thing on iPlayer? Or is it two episodes at a time or something strange? You know, that's a great question. I should know. Um, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Screaming I'll, I'll in their away. homes. Why you know, don't you know? I'll back away. I, I think. I think it is. It's not all dropped at once. I do know that, but I'm not sure. Oh, well, there you go. Exactly how it's going to run. But I mean, you just have to tune in and find out, everyone. Yeah. If people are interested, Google it. Google it. Uh, Google it. I, because I'm useless, I've now immediately forgotten the name of your four-year-old daughter. Francis. Why would you Francis. know? Oh, did you not say it? Oh, I thought I didn't. Oh, say it. oh I no, thought... I did say it. I did say it for Francis. Okay. Maybe I didn't say it. I said for my four-year-old. Her name's Francis. Anyway, let's pretend I didn't say it. So she yes. Okay, and you've got you've got <laughs> uh, two you've got two kids, right? Yes, Francis and Freddie. He's six months old. So yeah. Oh my goodness! So yeah. were they uh, on set with you the whole time? Yeah, Francis always has come with me to work. Yeah, and then now Freddie has, has begun. But I I was actually pregnant with Freddie during the filming of Gentleman Jack because it went on for so long they had to sort of shoot me out <laughs> in the end because I was just sort of enormous so um you know there, there could be a fun game in there spot the bump but um they obviously very kindly and rightly worked around the the old bump and it was, wasn't a problem but yeah Freddie was on set with me literally uh, <laughs> with me um and then yes he, he emerged after we'd stopped filming thankfully yes also appearing <laughs> With also Freddie. appearing, yes. <laughs> and were you all bubbling? Were we? All, yes, uh, well, sort of. There was a sort of bubble. The cast were in a bubble, and then everyone wore masks on set, and we were tested three times, up to three times a week, two or three times a week. And um, yeah, we were asked to be very sensible and just like don't go clubbing and things like that. You know, just sort of use your common sense. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we I think we we did get away with it for a large amount of it. But you know, when the surges happened, it was inevitable that one or two cases had occurred and things had to be shifted around. But so yeah, we were as bubbly as we could manage to be. Um, a listener, Zandar has been in touch. Uh, Graham, can you please ask Gemma about the soup in the eye scene from season one? It still makes <laughs> okay. me howl with laughter. Um, well, yeah, I, I just, um, I improvised the line. Oh, oh that's gone in. Because um, I dropped some soup in my bowl and it splashes in my face. And so I just improvised a little line and Sally loved it. So she kept it in um, because it did go in my eye and it just happened to be a happy accident on screen. So, yes, it was a little improv move um, that that got, got to stay in the show. And actually, I wasn't meant to look at the camera either, but I tried it one day and Sally liked it. So, uh I'm a bit of a chancer on set. I'm trying to get as much of my own stuff in as possible. <laughs> and I, but I think that's one of the things that makes Gentleman Jack seem modern because it does play with things like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, the sort of the and it, and it suits the diary element as well. I think particularly with Bert Saran, you know, her direct address. It really suits the sort of diary element to it. And then I think just to get Marion's slight point of view on it occasionally when Saran gets incredibly earnest about things. Um, it's nice to have that light relief of Marion eye rolling or or sort of you know, giving her opinion to the to the camera. 
Um, so it's, it's quite a nice little balance that we found with it, I think, yeah. And now, Gemma, I feel like this is one of those things where it could go wrong. Maybe somebody's messed with your Wikipedia page. But Uh-oh. you you are a professional dancer. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. OK. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want anyone to pay pay me to dance now. But I did used to dance um, for money, which sounds awful as well. I used to be in a, a little dance troupe called the Bow Bells. And we used to do tap dancing and little kitsch routines at uh at events and parties and festivals and stuff, yes. So I, I did train as a dancer, so that is correct. I wonder, I, I wonder if I saw you, that you sound like the sort of thing it would, you would appear at a kind of drink spash, would you? Uh, you you saw me doing my stand-up at Andrew Lloyd Webber's chapel uh, for Stephen... Oh, what was this, the musical he did? The yes, very, very Stephen... early stages. And I did... You were there with Russ Abbott. <laughs> I was doing my stand-up in Andrew's chapel. My (laughs) good friend, Ross Abbott. (laughs) Yes, my good friend, (laughs) Ross Abbott. So, um, yes. uh, That's going to really annoy me, Stephen. It was the the guy from Scandal. Yes, yes, exactly. It was Christine... Oh, I've just... Keeler. Everyone's screaming at the radios. That's it, yeah, Christine Keeler and Stephen... Him, anyway. So it was a very early opening version of that. And, uh, oh, but I wasn't a, dancing. A clever, person, a clever person just told me in my ear, Stephen Ward. We're idiots, Gemma. We are I idiots. I was thinking Lloyd, but we're the idiots. It's Ward, yeah, it's Ward. But yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, our paths have crossed. But I wasn't but dancing. You, no one needs to but do how that did you get? How did you get that gig? His, his son, Alistair, um, came to a gig and he was doing the sort of... Um, talent scouting for singers and new music acts but he also wanted to mix it up and had sort of put his own stamp on it so booked a couple of comedy acts as well and uh i happened to have been on the the, the night he came to sort of you know talent scout so to speak and uh, he came and afterwards and so we come and perform my dad's gig little did i know it was andrew lloyd webber and uh, it was a very very exciting time it's such an amazing place Oh, isn't it gorgeous? I mean, that is a good batch. Oh, I mean, I rarely leave it my house, but I, if I'm invited to that, I go. Because the wine... Exactly, exactly. I felt exactly the same. And they were, they, yeah, it was just an incredible sort of peep under the, you know, behind the scenes of, you know, another life. Another... Yeah, yeah it was just an incredible <laughs> experience. So, yes. And actually, probably <laughs> yeah. probably good preparation for being in Gentleman Jack. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how the other half live. Yeah, well, exactly, uh, exactly. Uh, if you want to spot uh, Gemma Whelan, is she pregnant here? Is she not pregnant here? Uh, Gentleman Jack <laughs> starts tonight. It's a good game. Uh, it's I'll get a few more viewers. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also available on iPlayer. Congratulations on everything, Gemma. Take care of yourself. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Graham, take care. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Right, it's time to meet my second guest of the day. Oh, such a treat. Uh, she became a household name back in the early 80s in the sitcom Ever Decreasing Circles. Been in umpteen things since then. Most recently, Isabel Crawley in Downton Abbey and Anne in Ricky Gervais' Afterlife. Now, she stars in such a good British movie, Operation Mincemeat. Her name is Dame Penelope Wilton. Good morning to you, or good afternoon. Good morning to you. How very kind of you to have me on. <laughs> oh, don't be mad. Finally, this movie's coming out. And and I know why you waited. And it's great that people are going to see it in the cinema now. Um, 
Operation Mincemeat, some people might know uh, something about that. I must say, I didn't until I saw the film. So uh, explain. It's it, it it's a true story, but a crazy one. Uh, tell people about it. Well, it's uh, it's based on a book um, um, that uh, written by Ben McIntyre, who is a sort of expert at that period. But the story is there was a special department in the Second World War um, in the in in, in the uh, War Office uh, called um, Room Thirteen that thought up ideas actually because we had to f- try and fool the Germans into thinking. Um, in, in different ways, uh, it's sort of sabotaging what they thought we were going to do. So we were going, the Allies were going to move up through Sicily and uh, up through Italy and in 1943 and take start to take Europe back. But the Germans knew we were coming that way. So uh, we had to try and convince them that actually we were going to land, land on northern Greece. And um, but they we had to find a way of doing that. So this um, particular department was filled with people with ideas, including people like Ian Fleming, a lot of novelists. And they came up with mad ideas, a lot of which didn't work um, or were dismissed out of hand. And this was one of the maddest, which was to find (laughs) somebody who was... uh, they found this body of this uh, vagrant and um, they decided to put on this vagrant all the information they needed to fool the Germans into thinking we were landing in northern Germ- uh, northern, northern Greece and then to sort of catapult him out of a submarine so his body would float up on the coast of Southern, of northern Spain, where there were a lot of spies, and hopefully the idea they would then ha- see what he had on him and realize that actually he was a top secret service person who knew the secrets of what we were really doing, and that Sicily was not our goal, but northern Greece was. Anyhow, this all went in front of um, Churchill, and uh, a lot of people poo pooed the idea, but Churchill was really up against it, and he thought it was mad enough to work, and so. This group of people created this character out of this poor dead vagrant and covered him with um, things like in his wallet. He had what was called wallet litter. So he had um, tickets from from his dry cleaning and a letter from his uh, from his from his girlfriend and all sorts of things. And they created this character called Captain Martin and um, uh, and, and they did float him out, and he was found. And uh, the 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 Germans fell for it because there were a lot of spies there. It went up to um, to Berlin, and uh, the Germans started to move their big big battalions out of yeah. Italy and to northern Greece. So when we actually took over. Um, we met with very le- much less resistance. Ten, most importantly, tens and thousands of young men's lives were saved, and, uh, and obviously that sort of turn turn the the direction of the war that happened yeah. after. So that's and it I, in a nutshell. <laughs> well, well described, Dame Penelope Wilton. Um, I, the, it, it's it, obviously it's about war and, and it's serious, but at the same time, it's told almost a kind of modern day Ealing comedy. It's just gorgeous. I loved it. You play yes. Hester Leggett. Is she an actual real person or is she kind of an oh, amalgamation yes. of different people? 
no, no, she was a real person. She'd worked with uh, Ewan Montague, who is one of the two protag main protagonists, him and Chumley, who sort of thought up the idea along with her. But she worked with him as his as his legal secretary because he was in he was a a, a lawyer before he before the war, and um, she'd always worked with him. I mean, I think she was a bit more um, savage than I I I. I, I <laughs> I think she was quite a difficult woman, but actually um, she was of an age. I mean, she was my age. And uh, 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 in the in the film, she's I think she's made more sympathetic than she actually was in real life. But she was one of those wonderful women who were entirely loyal and um, uh, and would do anything. And of course, they, uh, Ewan Montague was Jewish, so he had a, uh, he sent his family away and um, uh, to America. Um, and there were, of course, a lot of Jewish people in, in the armed forces in those days. And uh, so he had a special reason for, um, for making sure that uh, Hitler didn't get over here. And um, indeed, uh, she, was a, she was a wonderful woman. I think actually she probably, she was supposedly wrote the letter, the love letter that was found in the pocket of Captain um, Martin's suit. And um, I always thought, or rather I fantasized that perhaps she was a spinster and perhaps she'd lost her husband in the first, uh, her lover or her boyfriend. Um, in the First World War, and perhaps that was a letter she would have liked to have written to him. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's adorable. <laughs> and, and, so, and, and it's a great cast. It's Colin Firth, it's Matthew McFadden, it's you, yeah. uh, Kelly McDonald's in it. Yeah. Uh, just terrific. And it's going to be, it is making its way into cinemas uh, next Friday. Next yes, Friday. Wow. Yes, and we have the premiere on Tuesday. So uh, it's been a long wait because we finished it about a week before the first lockdown. And thank goodness we did, because it would have been hanging in abeyance. Otherwise, they could have had to stop shoot. They would have had to start all over shooting again. And that would have been, yes. you know, fantastically expensive. <laughs> and, and what's great is, too, that, uh, you, that you did wait, because now, an, you know, an audience feels confident about going to the yep. cinema. And yes, mm. great. I'm so pleased. Actually, Dame Bilder-Bilder, I don't think I've seen you since you became a dame. So congratulations on your damehood. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, who who yeah. did you get the gong from? I got it from um, Prince William. Oh, lovely! Well, where did you yeah. Buckingham Palace or Windsor? At Buckingham, at Buckingham Palace, yes. It was exactly. Um, I think it's coming up for for six years ago now, and uh, so we haven't spoken for quite a while. <laughs> No, we haven't. I mean, you've been in and out at the, at the old place at Radio 2. I saw you quite often, but, uh, but obviously yes. not for a while. Oh, well, no. congratulations. And, and no, well, also, I don't think to, I've seen you. I've also, I've also got to congratulate you because I've been watching Hidden, which was taken from your novel. Holding. Holding, rather. Holding. <laughs> Sorry. Hidden and Holding. Holding with Conleth Hill. Isn't he lovely, Conrad Hill? Well, oh. I think he's one of my most favourite actors, and I've seen him in a lot of things. I mean, I mean, he's a wonderful stage actor, and um, uh, uh, and uh, 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 and he's wonderful in it. But Brenda Fricker is also brilliant. It's a wonderful cast, I think, and it's been terribly well done by Kathy Burke. I was I was really impressed. So congratulations to you. Well, that, well, thank you because I did nothing. Uh, <laughs> 
I know. I wrote a book a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. But no, Kathy, Kathy Burke and, and the uh, people who had it, adapted it did an amazing uh, job. Yeah. Also, we must talk about uh, Afterlife and the huge success of that. That must be introducing you to an audience who kind of oddly don't know who you are. Well, um, I really don't know whether they know who I am or not. Um, um, the reason I, the reason I did it was because um, um, uh, uh, Ricky was a great fan of ever decreasing circles, and um, I think he said, used to watch it when he was a young, because you know he was a young boy or yeah. a teenager, and uh, and so. Um, He'd, he said it was his having me in um, afterlife was his homage to to have decreasing circles, and, uh, uh, and so he called me. I was called Anne in ever decreasing circles, and he calls me Anne in afterlife. And then I think he, a lot of people had a, a, a great desire for me to dash off with Peter Egan, and so um, when I did ever decreasing circles, and uh, when <laughs> and then in the last two. Um, um, afterlifes, who should turn up but Peter Egan? And we do actually <laughs> have a sort of romance, or you think they're going to have a sort of romance. So it was sort of it, Ricky's, I think that's what he, he liked. <laughs> and uh, uh, now, this is where I'll get, get something terribly wrong, but are you in the new Downton movie? I am, yes. Oh, phew, oh, yeah, they haven't killed you. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're all in that. Yes. Well, no, it's the same. It's the same crowd that were in the the other all the series and it's uh, and the first film. We're all still there, and um, hopefully, we're going to lighten people's hearts because that's what we need at the moment. We're going through such difficult times. Mm. Absolutely. Um, no, I suddenly I because I, I didn't see the last Downton film, and I was I was, right. I was asking the question. I just thought, oh, I hope. <laughs> I hope Isabel made it, but you did. Oh, That's yes. good. Oh, yes. She's still alive. Yes. She's still alive. Thank God. <laughs> Do you know so when that's going to be in, in cinemas? Yes, that's going to be in cinemas, I think, at the end of the month. I think I've got another um, uh, um, premiere of that uh, uh, about the 25th of April. So I think it comes out probably... Um, a few days after the premiere, so it'll be oh, wow. at the very, very end of the month. Yeah, your dry cleaner is going yeah. to be seeing a lot of you, uh, Penelope. I know. <laughs> well, I've just got to buy another frock for some other uh, frightening um, opening where you have to talk to everybody and walk down the line and smile and pretend you're having a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll have a nice time in the end. You'll have a nice time in the yes, end. Yes, uh, I'll have a nice time at the end. Yes, it's just getting ready and all dressed up again. It's so tiring, all that. But um, anyhow, that's what you have to do. <laughs> well, have a lovely time at the premiere of Operation Mincemeat. I'm I'm so Thank glad you. the world is going to see it. It's just oh. the most charming film and you're all great in it. So congratulations. Well, thank you so much. And I, I'm so pleased you enjoyed it. Loved it. Uh, Dame Penelope Wilton, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right now, it's competition time. Yes, it's the chicken and the egg competition. All thanks to Waitrose, we are giving somebody the chance to win an Easter food and drink passage, including lamb, a selection of wines, hot cross buns, Waitrose finest Easter eggs. It's uh, worth winning, I tell you. I believe on the line we have our player, it's Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Graham. How are you? 
I'm very well. All the better for talking to you. Where are you today, Sarah? I'm in a place called Southbourne from sunny Bournemouth. Oh, lovely. And what you got yeah. planned for your sunny Sunday? Well, um, I was going to go out on my Vespa this morning, but it's got a flat battery. So I went to Holford to buy my uh, spark plugs, but I bought, bought the wrong one. So my lovely husband's got to go all the way back again and get the right <laughs> one. With a smile on his face. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, oh, you feel like a, by now you should be able to just plug a Vespa in and charge it, but uh, no smart I know, plugs. You know, all right. Well, I thought you could just use a normal car, you know, um, jump leads, but apparently you can't. Different voltage. Oh, dear. Well, I'm afraid you're not playing for a battery today, but you no. are playing You are playing for all your Easter goodies. You know how it works. Basically, I give you choices. I, I give you two things, and you have to say which came first. If you get it yep. right, you win the item that you're up for playing for. If you get the three uh, right, then you are you will win a big kind of a bundle of all extra gorgeous Easter goodies, chocolate and eggs Lovely. and cakes and all the things. Okay, good luck, Sarah. Okay, the first one up is the leg of lamb. It's tasty and succulent, whole British leg of lamb, perfect for an Easter roast. Even the picture looks delicious. Huh? All right, are you a Beatles fan, Sarah? Oh, um, sort of. Okay, is there anyone there to help you? Yes, I do. Actually, my neighbour was just walking his dog just past my house and I grabbed him. His name's Paul. Okay, is Paul a Beatles fan? Again, sort of. I mean, I was a, a very little boy when when the Beatles came out. We, we were it. all we were all little boys when the Beatles came out. We like one or something. <laughs> no, it's Beatles. Here we go. Here we go. Which Beatles album came first? Oh, Sarge, Sergeant Pepper's or Help? Sergeant Pepper's or Help? Think of the album covers. Which which looks older to you, Sergeant Pepper's album cover or Help? Um, what do you say? We're going to go. We're going to go for help. I don't like go for help anyway. Okay. Help. <laughs> Let's see if you're right. <gasps> you are. Like it or not, you've got the leg of lamb, Sarah. Well done, and thank you, Paul, for your help. Now this is the one everybody wants. This is the collection of Waitrose Easter entertaining wines. You get Prosecco, oh, yes. Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, Indulgent Duro Red. This is the one you want. Okay, yes, and you yes. should get this one. Between you and Paul, you should get this. Which book was published first? Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist or J.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings? Oliver Twist. Final answer, let's see if you're right. Yes. You are right. Yes, you've got the lamb, you've got the booze. Okay, now we're going to find out if you get... (laughs) Well, it's in your hands. Will you win the chocolate eggs? Let's find out. Uh, Which of these... Oh, no, you should get this. If you you don't get this, you don't deserve the eggs. Which of these skyscrapers came first? Skyscrapers. We've got a tension bed. This is very exciting. Because if you get this one right, you don't just get the eggs, you get all of the uh, waiter's goodies. Okay, here we go. Which of these skyscrapers came first? The Shard or the Empire State Building? The Empire State Building. Yes! I've won that. And you are? You are? Of course you're right. Of course you're right. Uh, That... 
That means you get the lamb, you get the booze, you get the Easter eggs, and in addition, you get the Easter egg drip cake, you get uh, miniature eggs, and you get lots of hot cross buns. Congratulations to you, Sarah. Uh, is there anyone else you'd like to say hello to apart from Paul with the dog? Oh, I've got yeah, my, um, yeah. well, he hasn't got his dog, but I've got my three Shih Tzus here, Dylan, Digger and Daisy, and my husband's called Paul here, and he's here, and my sister in um, Paula, who's up in um, Hertfordshire, Bishop Storford, and everyone else that knows me. Oh, congratulations, oh. Sarah. I hope that's helped with your Easter plans, uh, and good luck with your battery on your, on your Vespa. Thank <laughs> I hope you. you get on it today. Thank <laughs> All you. Right, take care of yourself. Bye. That- Thanks for playing. <laughs> oh, they have fun there. Another week done and dusted. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can hear a new episode of the best of bits from the show from early Monday morning. Speak to you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Virgin Radio.